Oh, hey guys, welcome back to the Legendary Habitat Podcast. I'm excited for this episode. We have uh, John Comp on here of Northwoods Whitetail Seed. Uh, we're going to be going over some, some uh, cool different topics. And uh, so I'm excited to dive in. So, uh, John, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you doing? Good. Doing real good. Thanks for coming on here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so uh, obviously a lot of guys know you're in the uh, UP of Michigan. Uh, it's kind of where you're based out of, and uh, so you want to give a little bit of background about kind of how the company started, about yourself, and then uh, we'll dive into some more, some more topics. Sure. Uh, yeah, we've lived up here probably 20 years, originally from northeastern Wisconsin. Uh, been deer hunting since I was 12 years old. Uh, probably early, mm, early 2000, 1999, somewhere in there. I started uh, finding an interest in planting food plots. Started out with cereal rye and had success with that, and then moved on to clovers, and then discovered, uh, I believe in 2008, we discovered uh, Paul Knox on Iowa Whitetail, and absolutely was just infatuated with growing food plots. And, and <clears throat> the more we worked at it, the more successful we were. We are actually started. Uh, you know, we were, we were working with, you know, buying the big name brands to get a Walmart or, you know, the big box stores and really wasn't satisfied with that. And I'm, I'm kind of a guy, I always like to dive into things and I ask why a lot and I try to improve things. Um, so we started messing with our own blends, started ordering things online and some from the local shops. And, and next thing you know, we, we had some great looking food plots. We're starting to make blends for our friends and and then uh, some hunting partners and stuff like that. And, uh, I believe 2012 we launched NorthwoodsWhitetails.com uh, with uh, an online food plot seed store, and it's it's just grown by leaps and bounds. And, and uh, we really caught fire a few years ago. And uh, in uh, uh, two years ago we. We uh, left cor corporate America, so to speak, and, <laughs> uh, and started working for ourselves. And, and then uh, last, about this time last year, we were in the process of building a 3,200-square-foot shop. Moved in in January, and it's, uh, just, it's just kind of been uh, the American dream, you know, start a little business on your kitchen table. Literally, we were building the seed blends on our kitchen table, and, and uh, here we are in a beautiful 3,200-square-foot facility here in Menominee. Wow, very cool story. Gotta yeah. love uh, a lot of hard work and passion goes into that. And I know just over the short time I've followed you and from guys I've worked with that have worked with you, uh, I've heard a lot of great things about you. So Thank great you. to finally hear the background about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, so. it's been a cool deal. You know, you when when guidance counselor, if there's any high school kids listening, the guidance counselor and I never discussed uh, my own food plot seed company, so you know, it's just kind of funny where the Lord takes you in life, and you know we just kind of play the, the the hand you're dealt, and we're gladly playing this hand right now. So just uh, we're truly blessed up here, and uh, uh, if anybody's listening that has uh, brought bought it, bought products from us, we can't thank you enough. Yeah, well, it's awesome. 
So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll dive into some more um, new products or I guess your, your products you have now and then, uh, you know, some new products that you are working on or, you know, in the process of um, mm -hmm. for kind of 2022, 2023. With, with uh, this drought, there was a necessity to come up with, I think it was our latest product we came out with. It was a short season brass blend. And we, we've got, I think, um, and I kind of say this not because we sell it, but it, it's it's taken a lot of hard work and, and testing to develop it. But our sweet feast brassica blend, I just I don't think there's anything better on the market. Um, I really don't. Just the combination of of uh, brassicas, tubers, you know, turnips, and, and the, the the percentage of radishes. I think we've got it dialed in really really well. Um, but with this drought, Colin, I knew that there was going to be a lot of guys planting late due to failure. Sure. You know, yep. I knew there was going to be a lot of guys planting late, uh, guys, girls, planting late due to the fact that they weren't getting any rain. Yep. And we've, also, we've also been approached by so many people down south. When I say down south, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, they like to plant that down there. There's areas down there where they do have success with grass. But but the problem is, is they're just getting into the planting season right now. And they're planting season because, you know, God forbid, the hurricanes are coming, but it also brings moisture. So uh, we, we didn't think they would get the full uh, growing season that the sweet feast required. And we did, we've been doing some research for a few months, and we came up with four varieties that we thought we're going to do quite well because they're in that 45 to 55 day window of growing where our sweet feast is a 75 to 90 day window. Okay. And so that's why the, you know, up here we'll plant probably starting with this warm fall we've had. I'm actually starting to think the last week in July might be just a bit too early. But anyway, it gives folks uh, an option like around here, maybe to plant. We started getting some rain in, in late August, you know, and still have, is it going to produce a tonnage of, say, like our sweet feast? No. But it's going to produce a nice food plot, a nice brassica plot. You're going, you're going to get decent sized uh, radishes. You're going to get some decent sized turnips because they are a short season turnip. Same with the, uh, the forage brassica that's in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we that was um, that was built out of necessity for, uh, for people that we knew this was uh, unfortunate with the drought. This was going to happen this year. Um, another thing we brought in this year and started selling because I've used it a lot so much with our brassica blend. We do, uh, we found a really nice winter pea. We like, I like planting those either with uh, our brassicas or we'll add it to one of our grain mixes. I really like those winter peas added to brassicas, uh, maybe 50 to 60, up to 100 pounds an acre. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just, it's not, you know, there's a lot of people that, that don't get the deer to get on them right away. But they, they really like that young 10 pea that seems to be an added attraction. Um, that was uh, a couple of things that we brought in. One of the things, again, out of necessity, and, and this was my own necessity, uh, we managed some properties up here and we're designing some properties up here this year. Uh, a lot of sand up here up in Michigan. So we we messed with it for a couple of years trying to get the recipe right, uh, the percentages right. We came, we took our fall forage blend, was probably the very first blend we ever came up with uh, about 10 years ago. And we tweaked it a little bit for the sandy soil regions of, like, say, central Wisconsin, here in upper Michigan, uh, northern, lower Michigan. 
And we got that, I think, just right. It's done extremely well. We've got it on, on the actual lease that we're hunting this year. We've got a few acres of it in. And uh, as I'm talking to you, I've got Tacticam uh, reveal pictures coming in. <laughs> and those things are awesome they are they are they're, they're great cameras and uh there's there's a plot full of deer stuff in their face with the fall porch sandy soil so nice. um, that was born out of necessity uh for myself and um again certain regions of the country it's amazing how you know we think about you know a lot of us we just think about michigan but we get to reach the folks you know, from Washington to Maine, down to Florida, you know, over to California, we get to talk to people every day and how, how there's regions and pockets of this just rough ground to plant in, especially on the East Coast. There's a lot of sandy soil. I uh, just had a, uh, uh, sent some today to a gentleman in Virginia. You know, the hmm. first thing he said was, I have sandy soil. What do you think we should do? And, you know, we went through his food plot program and, and got him uh, set on some fall forage sandy soil. But so that, those are the three right off the top of my head that we designed. And then, like I said, two of them were, you know, out of necessity uh, for our customers. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are, those are uh, definitely uh, a key, a key piece I think that we're missing in, in several different, you know, food plot companies and, so when you can kind of hit those, you know, needs or demands, um, you know, you see guys, you know, struggling with regular, you know, brassica blends and you can kind of tweak it um, to kind of more of a, a custom blend, but that's going to meet a lot of needs of, sure. of guys all over. So mm-hmm. for sure. But one of the things we are working with, we're, we're fortunate enough to where we're, we have some, some partners we get to work with right in New Zealand. And that's that's pretty cool. Um, the stuff that they get, get to use over there that we don't even see over here. One of the things we're trying to put together is a brassica blend that will do well in sandy soil. And I'm just we're just starting to test a few things. So I don't know about next year if, if, if we're going to have something ready for market. But that's kind of you know one of the things that um, we are working on. Again, necessity. This whole region, whether it's you know, we're just north of Wisconsin here, that central Wisconsin, that, that upper half of Michigan. And again, these, these uh, areas uh, out on the East Coast, there's a lot of sandy soil regions. And I'd really like to try to get some 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 brassicas that are working there. So we've got some people working on some things. And hopefully next year we'll have something, uh, if not for sure, 2024. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think even something else, and this might be a hard task to uh, accomplish, but is to kind of have a a brassica that's more suited well for you know sandy soil but also has a shorter uh maturity right too because mm-hmm. um, i know you know sometimes up here in uh northern lower we get early frost and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so having something that would be shorter maturity rate and that can grow in sand that could be that could two of the best uh the yeah, best things in one but you really start digging into this and it's amazing what's out there yeah and a lot of it yeah. albeit a lot of it you might not even be able to bring into the country because it just isn't an importer yeah um, but there is you start to talk to people that that you know that that farm in different regions of the world and what's out there it's, it's kind of an amazing uh, it's an amazing thing and i think it's going to be a great partnership with uh, some of these folks overseas yeah yeah that's really cool look forward to learn more about that mm-hmm. um so yeah, I guess let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, building soil. 
So obviously this has kind of been a trend for a while and I'm sure you've kind of sure. seen all different aspects of it, you know, being a food plot company and um, I know you've kind of dabbled with it and I know you've mm -hmm. dove into it more and um, you got some different blends that you kind of tweaked. And uh, so if you want to kind of go into some different options there and what you guys offer and uh, kind of success you guys have had with those. The way, the way we started and, and, and as I said before, uh, talked about before, I'm, I was a big follower of Paul Knox. And, and, and we were, we're kind of a champion of, of his methods, his, you know, this year we're going to put our brassicas on one side of the food plot, the next, and then, and then the other side of the food plot, we're going to do a, a cereal grain mix like our fall forage. We're going to have some red clover, maybe some radishes, maybe add some vetch. And flip-flop that the following year where the brassica is this year and the grains are going to be next year and we'll uh we would plow under with a tiller one pass very shallow the red clover that's where our brassicas are going to go and then where the brassicas are this year next spring we'll do some sort of green manure mix say like a crimson clover oats uh crimson clover rye you know maybe our soil builder but one of the things i've always done um is that if we're going to run a tiller and i i have no problem doing that mm -hmm. um again as long as we're not abusing the soil uh you're putting something back into the ground now the very popular thing right now is no-till regen regenerative egg the david brandt uh, Gabe Brown method, and I've had conversations with Dave Brandt and Gabe Brown um, probably long before anybody heard of those guys. Mm -hmm. We we found there was something there that I thought we wanted to pursue. Sure. And I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. But anyway, so we've run one of the farms we managed. We ran this this you know this the strip me method, and conventional wisdom is tilling isn't going to get you to grow organic matter or build organic matter percentage and that i do believe that if you're if you're running a, a a deep disc a deep tillage implement dropping corn into the ground or turning over beans no you're not mm -hmm. but when we did this method with paul knox's you know um theories behind it we actually with the soil test to prove it every year five years we built up 1.1 percent organic matter it started at uh, 2.9 and it ended at 4 to 4.1 wow so are you going to build that on every soil i don't know i don't think so i'm not sure mm -hmm. sure. but i do know we were putting tons and tons of biomass back into the ground so i think there's something to that you know and again when you say people say you can't use tillage to to build organic matter well, I think deep tillage, you're correct. We did a very shallow tillage, and the soil test doesn't lie. We used Rock River Labs, and we were testing within 50 to 20 yards of the same spot on the giant four-acre field every year, and we built organic matter. Now, could we build it up to 7 or 8 or 10? I don't know. I'm not sure. sure. Yeah. But yep. I do know we did build it. Now, that being said, if it was a sandy field, I probably would have uh, tried not to do as much. But, again, we were just doing one a year. But now I'll, I'll kind of go to that and talk about that. So that's that's 
that's like our fall forage or radishes or red clover on one side, grasses on the other, and then we have a strip of white clover in there as well. That's what we typically do on a destination plot. Now, when we when we were uh, five six years ago, we, we kind of found David Brandt and then found Gabe Brown and really thought that there was a way um, to do this. We set three acres aside. We were going to try to do this regenerative egg. Now, I don't have a drill. Um, all I had was a grain drill, and we couldn't make it work. And I thought, most people that I see have success with this method have a grain drill. I'm sorry, have a no-till drill. Sure. And, and yep. that's awesome. There's a gentleman here. I'm, I'm here in Menominee. There's a gentleman north of me uh, in Iron Mountain, and he does this, and he has great success. And mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. Yep. Okay. But one of the things is that we couldn't terminate the crop, you know, the, the, I don't want to, what do you, I don't know if the cover crop is the right word, but the, sure. the, the spring crop, we couldn't terminate yep. it and plant into it correctly to get the results. I really like, could we get some stuff to grow? Yes. But would it, you know, and I'm looking at this three acre field and then I'm looking at this four acre field and they're within 10 yards of each other. Okay. okay. Yep. And it's the same soil. And the field that we were doing this tillage, the the one strip, or I'm sorry, the one till, the, the strip method, it was loaded with with great food, a lot of brassicas, a lot of grains, and this other one was just struggling. And I just we I just didn't think mixing all that stuff together, and I, I just from my personal experience, I didn't I didn't think it was going to work, and it did work. We tried it for three years. Does it work? I think it does work. I think if you're a farmer, it works. Mm -hmm. And this is my thought process on this column. If you look at Dave Brandt and Gabe Brown, they're building their, their, their cover crops run from August till the following spring. Okay? Sure. And they let, that's when they're letting the cover crops do all the work. And then their cash crop, uh, i.e. corn, wheat, beans, are still planted as a monoculture. You can look at the pictures of David Brand's farm. You can look at the pictures of Gabe Brown during his videos and stuff. His corn has nothing growing in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think um, we're kind of doing the opposite. We're we're trying to do this this multi-species mix in the spring and then try to put in a multi-species mix in the fall. And I just I. From my personal experience and the guys that we work with, we've got some guys testing the multi-species next to our two-strip two method right now, and it's not even a, it's a nine-day difference. Mm -hmm. I think that our cash crops are opposite of what a farmer is. The farmer's cash crops go from spring till August. Our cash crops, i.e. the food plots, go from August till, till fall. So I think, I, I still think, in my personal experience, the best method of doing brassicas is brassicas by itself. Um, can you can you get brassicas to grow with with sorghum and 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 all this other stuff grains and stuff? Sure, you can. I've tried it. I've done it. Mm -hmm. But but I'm looking for those brassicas that are three feet tall, the size of a pineapple, which is what some of our turnip varieties will do. I just got a picture the other day from a customer, and that's what it looked like. Yep. Um, I don't see that when we combine everything. And that's just what I found. I don't recommend it to my customers. I recommend keeping it separate. I don't rec recommend taking, you know, 10, 12, 13 species and putting it all in. Um, I, I just, I've not seen um, 
the results to to me to, to, to justify telling you know someone that spent their hundred money on their seed, yeah, go ahead, take the fall for it, mix it with the presents. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying to my customers to get the most amount of tonnage from our products, keep them separate. Yeah, yep. Yeah, no, I've I've definitely you know, I think there's like you were saying, there's there's pluses and minuses to both. You know, I think that was definitely a good to relay it um, onto kind of how that whole agricultural system works because their cash cropping system and the way most deer, you know, are deer uh, higher deer densities uh, in most of these areas where you're planting food plots, um, it's hard to get that really good cover crop established in the fall. It is. And that's critical, you know, especially if you're trying to cut back on using herbicides in the spring and stuff. So that's a that's a great point too. Because I think I think a lot of people, including myself, you know, they kind of the craze. You start kind of buying into, oh yeah, this seems like it's you know it's perfect. You know, it's going to work awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah, Colin, I've been doing this for twenty some years, this hunting yeah. thing, and I got into it just as the buck bed craze was hitting. Yeah, and then I got you know then came along the hinge cutting craze. And now it's the no-till regenerative egg, and I'm not going to call it a craze because I, I think there's, I think three years from now it's not going to be as as, um, I don't want to say in demand, mm-hmm. but it's but something's going to come out of it. So it's like it's kind of like we were talking before we actually did the interview that that as the habitat manager, as a food plotter. You have a giant toolbox. Mm-hmm. Hinge cutting is a tool in the toolbox. Sure. Uh, I think you know buck beds might be that you know <laughs> that obscure little wrench in the corner of the toolbox, but it's still a tool. Yep. You know, yep. we can't take a car apart with a nine sixteenths wrench, and that's only nine sixteenths wrench. And I think there's a lot of people looking at this regenerative egg thing and saying that's what we're doing and and they're jumping all in and and again i get to talk to people every day from all over the country and it's not it's not getting the results that they had hoped for Mm -hmm. so again i'm not saying it's wrong i'm just saying in my opinion and in in my experience it will not produce the tonnage per acre as our strip system will and and that's just what i found i mean there there's there's you know there's the folks that are out there that have the drills and that are doing it god bless you i you know keep doing it mm-hmm. but I, just, I will not recommend it nor will we put seed blends together to uh to try to um you know to try to uh run that system it just i just don't think it, it works as well as other systems do. yeah yeah well and there's Obviously, as you know, you're, you're selling to all these different people, as you said, and it's so hard to meet the needs of all these different people and their resources and equipment and time and all the soil. And there's so many other things. So, you know, I, I totally understand from that point of, from your point of view and sure. where you're at, you've got to build a, a mix that's, that's almost going to be somewhat bulletproof, you know, and if you've had mediocre yeah. results with something else, you've got to go with something that you know is going to work and that, you know, it's going to work on your clients' farms, uh, their customer farms too. So yeah, no, I totally, I totally see that. I think there's, there's different pitfalls that I've seen, you know, to, you know, kind of putting in those high diversity blends. I've had some, some good success with them, but at the same time, I have seen some things that, you know, as for instance, a, a example, I was actually out doing, uh, some videos with Brad Harper on our farm, doing some different, uh, trials with liquid, with his, uh, liquid products. And, um, okay. 
and uh, we were looking at you know kind of one of my my blends and um it's a high diversity blend from a, a company and um and you know one of the things i think that i was me and brad were kind of talking about is you've got your grains you know mixing in with your brassicas well that's great you know but typically obviously those are different planting dates so you know my oats and stuff right now and wheat they're already getting close to putting a seed head on um which there's almost no palatability you know for deer right now you know as we're coming coming right into early bow season so of course i'm overseeding those with rye and i'm gonna have that young tender rye down there but um you know there's in, at the same time it is building you know it's adding more carbon to the soil at the same time uh you're getting a little bit more more uh carbon built up there for the spring um yeah but, i'm all for diversity blends in the spring i'm all for that you know we our soil builder we add crimson clover to it um, yeah we've got usually Otherwise, we might do a four-way diversity blend in the spring. But again, we're opposite of what these these David Brandt, Gabe Brown guys are. Our cash crop is August till till you know end of deer season. Sure. And that's the diversity crops. Yep. So I think I I don't think there's an issue with a diversity crop in the spring, you want to plant a 20 way mix, hey, knock yourself out. I think that's great yep. because we're not concerned. And I've always told our customers, what we try to do is feed our soil in the spring and summer and feed our deer in the early fall and winter. Yeah. Early no, fall, for sure. That's what we try to do. That's what we try to promote. Um, you know, uh, obviously we do have summer food selection with our clover blends, but if, you know, like, you know, and we are we are talking about, uh, the, the soil builder blend again another blend built out of a need because uh that's you know the buckwheat method was starting to really catch fire and guys in in northern upper michigan northern uh, again i'm sorry i call it upper michigan, michigan <laughs> northern, northern lower yeah <laughs> northern lower michigan uh, just couldn't get the buckwheat to go because the deer ate it all yeah so we we were working on uh a, but, but this is when we were still working with this, you know, high diversity blend. Okay, we want something that we can get a lot of carbon, we can get a lot of root uh, structure that will create organic matter because a lot of times this stuff is being planted by folks with the sandy soil. So we need a lot of organic matter right off the bat. Mm -hmm. uh, so we got some plant choices that, you know, we, that, was a, that was a tough one to put together. We don't want the deer eating it, and we want it to grow three to four to five feet tall because then you're also having massive root structure underneath that and that's actually where your organic matter comes from not the stuff that's above the ground it's what's below the ground is what creates your organic matter yep. so that that was created and it's a i think right now we're up to an eight species mix in there um you know i'm not really sure i don't think we're gonna add any brassicas or anything like that to it but that was built out of necessity because the deer we can get buckwheat um to the ground so folks didn't have anything cramped down or flattened or you know do what they wanted to do with the buckwheat so we've been doing that with the soil builder and that soil builder has proven uh, all over uh michigan in uh wisconsin especially uh we work with brandon at uh, first point first choice food plots and he does a lot of central wisconsin planting and his number one uh, spring planting for for these these guys with the smaller plots is our soil builder and then he'll drill he'll come back and then crimp and i think he's actually got a roller crimper that goes on the front of his tractor and he runs a, a i believe it's a land fried that's the orange one yep uh, i believe so fried, yeah. yep so he runs a land fried 
drill right behind it. He's drilling in, you know, eight, nine foot tall soil builder. And he said, it just, it works unbelievable. So, yeah. Wow. Um, again, that's where we do our diversity mixes that are in the spring. And then in the fall, we're, we're concentrating on brassicas here, uh, cereal grains here, clovers here. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Uh, from my point of view and, and from what mm -hmm. I've, what I've seen too. So <clears throat> I think that's a, that's a good takeaway for a lot of listeners, you know, like kind of, uh, bring all this information, you know, that's kind of been out and about and that you kind of see on all these, you know, bigger agriculture uh, platforms and these other guys that are, um, you know, kind of promoting regenerative ag. We kind of have to cater that down to what our needs are as, as mm -hmm. habitat manager deer hunters. And those are obviously totally different um, in some cases than, than the uh, farmers. So, Sure. I think if we can take some theories from that and make them work on our properties, that's a good thing. Yep. You know, they, yep. they talked about the five principles of soil health. Well, if we can do two or three of them, three or four of them, that's a pretty good thing. Sure. Yep. I think, I think Colin, and you'll probably run into this working with more and more customers is, is these, these gentlemen and ladies just want a nice green food plot to hunt over. Yep. Okay? And you start trying to run, run the scientific terms in this natural and they just glaze over myself included you know sure and, sure oh yeah and, yeah uh, it's 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 uh it's that we have to we have to cater to them but we have to also cater to to you know what equipment do they have what skills do they have what time do they have i mean you know there's so many when we do when we design a food plot program for a customer um and I think we're well over a thousand. Wow, There's good for like you. There's like eight or nine. Well, we've been doing it for ten years, and you know we might get fifty to hundred. I think this year we did over two hundred. But anyway, we we there's there's a list of questions we run with these, and I just this regenerative egg. I'm always in the back of my head with that fitness this situation, and it just won't. And again, Colin, I'm not saying that it's not a good thing. I'm not saying it's not going to work. I'm just saying. For the average deer hunter who just wants to grow something green, minimal equipment, we try to get them into a program um, that's going to work for them. And it's amazing how um, not two programs are the same. Mm -hmm. So, yep. you know, this we, we all have to understand that, you know, and I, we can kind of go back to these fads. One size does not fit all. I mean, every property is different. Every piece of equipment is different that these folks own. You know, what you own and you farm with are probably completely different than what I farm with. You know, sure. I got one of my, my one of my favorite tools. The favorite tool I have for putting in our food plot screen is my four wheeler, a little beat up three foot wide disc, and a lawnmower. I've been using that for nine years. Yep. Yep. And I switched up the equipment this year and had the absolute worst germinating screen ever. And then we went back to it uh, two weeks later. We went back to Old Reliable, and we had a, one of the best-looking screens we've ever had. So, wow. you know, and I, does anybody have this combination? No, but somebody's got something close to it that we can kind of make work. Sure, you know? sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's just a big thing is we got to work with what people have to work with. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So I think that's a, a good um, kind of point to uh, go off of as we kind of move into another topic, which is kind of uh, – Moving into the most common food plot mistakes that, that you have seen, um, obviously, you know, you're starting with quality seed, you know, obviously, you know, 
going based off what your soil is, that's huge. And then kind of, you know, if you've got good soil, then, you know, what are kind of the most common things that you're seeing a lot of guys, you know, you know, whether it just be error on their part or some other things that guys can just improve on or, uh, or look to do differently. This isn't going to be a popular answer, but not burying the seed. And the reason I say that is because of the drought this year. Um, and again, I'm not knocking no-till. I'm not knocking it at all. Mm-hmm. But we were in such a drought, and it wasn't just Michigan. It was darn near nationwide. Sure. Okay, I, let's just say the range of the, the whitetail. There was so many gentlemen and ladies that said, John, our seeds are just sitting on top of the ground baking in this heat. And, and I just said, you know, I had talked folks into taking a pallet, putting extra long screws in them. you got to be careful with this thing. And creating a homemade harrow drag. Sure. And it called back three weeks later. They got an eighth inch of rain, and it, it worked great. Hmm. So I thought that was a big mistake. Um, again, <sighs> we see the no-till, and it was, you know, it's kind of like we're talking about how buckwheat's were fat. And, and I don't want to call it a fad, but it was a, let's call it a phase. Mm-hmm. Okay? It was a phase that the food plot community is going through right now is no-till. And I appreciate that, you know, because that, you know, you're trying to soil health and that. But at the end of the day, Colin, I'm, I'm looking at trying to grow a green food plot. I'm not looking at how many earthworms are under my, you know, and it's, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. But that's, that's the bottom line. I'm trying to. I'm trying to grow a healthy food plot, whether it's in a sandbox or it's in beautiful, you know, Iowa uh, acre of soil. We, when we're in a drought like this, the biggest thing is is you have to get these seeds covered. And you know, if you if you roll buckwheat down on top of it and you don't get rain for three weeks, three weeks later that buckwheat looks like it's gone, and your seeds are sitting on top of the ground. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest mistake I've saw people make this year. Now, will that be a mistake next year? I don't know. Mother Nature could turn the faucet back on. We might have too much rain. And guess what? No till is going to make everyone look like a genius. Okay. <laughs> right. No, I'm, I'm dead serious. That's, sure. When you think about it. No till works awesome if you've got rain. And we didn't have rain this year. We still, I've got, I've got a, we worked on a food plot today. And there is no way I'm no tilling this thing. It's getting buried because I can't trust. Uh, weather underground they haven't been right all year you know they're supposed to be the greatest app they whoever's running the menominee michigan uh rain predictor uh they need to find another job because they're not even in the same zip code <laughs> but anyway um, so, so that's one of the you know and again it might not be a mistake next year but this sure. particular 2022 i thought folks not burying their especially their larger seed was a big mistake yep now, yep. That being said, other other mistakes I've seen, obviously overseeding brassicas, uh, and it's so easy, Kyle, I do it myself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I still overseed brassicas. I've been planting them for 12, 13 years, and I still overseed brassicas. Um, you know, the, the other thing is, is not proper fertilization, um, and I think sometimes, especially like with our sweet feast, you see a lot of a lot of yellow starting right now because they're running out of nutrients. There wasn't enough nutrients put down. Uh, we 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 kind of I kind of shied away of putting a fertilizer recommendation with the brassicas because everybody's ground is different. 
Mm-hmm. And what I tell folks is if you're going to take a soil test, make sure you soil test where the brassicas are going. Um, but the other thing is, is that like you, you might get a soil test back that says, okay, you need 80 pounds of triple 19 or you need 60 pounds of, you know, triple, uh, triple 18 or whatever. Sure. And I'm, I'm like, That's not even close to being enough fertilizer to get these things through three months of growth, especially we saw it last year because it was so warm last year. These things never shut off. You know, like now we've, we've got two frosts already this year here in Upper Michigan. Last year, it was still 70 degrees out. And at night, it was 80, 85 during the day. I mean, I think the, you know, we had we had uh, 77 in November. And the, like the oats and the brassicas never really shut down. They just kept growing and growing and tried to go to seed. So they really needed a lot of nutrients. But one of the things I see uh, people make mistakes is they don't fertilize brassicas enough. Those things are like a growing teenage boy they need to eat. So <laughs> yep. in general, uh, this is just general. Without seeing a soil test, you are guessing, and I hope we're guessing right. We tell folks anywhere from 150 to 200 pounds of triple 19 or 624.24 and then 100 to 150 pounds of urea. And people are like, oh, my God, that's a, ton. That's a lot of fertilizer. Yes, it is. But mm-hmm. these things are growing machines. Yeah. So, you know, the, the 50 pounds of triple 13 per acre for brassicas, at least our mix, I can't speak for anybody else's. I just don't know what's in it. It's not going to cut it. So that's another mistake, and, and we're gonna try to we're gonna try to to get together with some of our our seed guys with brassicas and kind of try to get a general guesstimate with an emphasis on this is a guesstimate, you know. So uh, that's probably the big three, um, you know. That's the couple that I, I I thought that I I noticed a lot this year. Okay. Yep, I've definitely uh, definitely noticed that, and. Um, mm-hmm. It was cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be doing, uh, putting together a video right now that me and Brad Harper uh, just filmed, and uh, mm-hmm. we kind of went over, which was a great example. Of what we just talked about. Um, I did some trials on um, his full rate liquid uh, foliar and nitrogen yeah. uh, half rate on one plot, and then I just did uh, granular or nitrogen on one, and uh, oh, the results were just crazy. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was really cool to to see the differences. Um, I just, I pulled two of the biggest leaves off the brassicas that I could find. And, um, one was almost the size of my boot and the other one was a quarter of the size. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. He's that, that block doctor, you know, it's not a, it's not a real popular name or a, not a, 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 um, you know, there's other liquid fertilizer companies out there that are well, more well known. Sure. But I'll tell you what, that plot doctor stuff's pretty amazing every time we use it. Yep, yep. And I think uh, one of the things we went over, you know, because when I first started using it, um, a lot of it, I think a lot of the most common mistakes that we were kind of seeing, me and our Brad, obviously he, he sees it more than I do, um, mm-hmm. is just getting your, your sprayer calibrated right and getting the amount down that you need, um, like you're saying. Because uh, typically you're when you're spraying and stuff, you don't have your sprayer calibrated and you don't have your rates right. Um, you're just not going to see those results just because you're not putting enough down um, to really think, see it in brassicas. Yeah, that's so. one of the things we run into is we just don't put enough of it down. And I think I think that I think there's an art to that foiler, but I think Brad has got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, we do. In this video we just recorded, we went over some really basic, uh, simple ways to kind of calibrate your sprayers and modifications and stuff like that. 
um, you know, upgrading your pump, your nozzle size, where you can put down a lot more water. Because that's one of the biggest things for a lot of guys that are, have sandy soil or we don't have much moisture and much rain. If we can, you know, if you've got a bigger, good-sized tank on your four-wheeler, when you can put down, you know, a bunch of water with your fertilizer and then you can even go over your plants again um, and water them again, um, you know, at planting or, you know, a couple weeks after planting, um, that just makes a huge difference with getting that fertilizer down in the ground um, or even a foliar application too. It's, you know, it gets the red on that plant leaf. That plant can soak it up. And then if we get a rain, you know, it's coming in through the through the uh, leaf and the root. So. Sure. Yep. Sure. Yeah, I think that foiler is going to be big in years to come. Again, though, another tool in the toolbox. Sure, sure. No, yeah. Yep. Um, so I had a couple of uh, food plot questions. I put it out on my social media and I uh, figured we'd hit a couple of these. So, um, so let's see. We got one for what do you suggest for access cover on sandy ground? So I'm assuming he's talking about some screening. Um, yeah. So we actually, again, with, 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 uh, the land we're using this year, hunting and leasing, a lot of sand. We did our HD food plot screen, and it was amazing. Um, I think we had, I think we have a YouTube video about a week ago. We put out on our on our channel. I'm sorry for the shameless plug here, but we do. We've got a YouTube channel now that we're doing a lot of these videos. But we awesome. it was on the screening, and it was shot in, and it shows me reaching down pure beach sand. Yep. And the screen got, I think we did 20 feet wide. Um, I think some of that stuff in there is 16, 17 feet tall. Wow. On the south side. So what I would recommend is the instant screen. Uh, I would first off try to make sure you've got enough to do third, uh, 12. I would say 25 foot wide screen. Here's why. I would look at the food plus screen heavy duty on the north side of the screen. Uh, and then uh, 10 foot wide RC Tecumseh, um, which is one of our new Canadian varieties of switchgrass on the south side of the screen. That, the reason we want it set up that way is because when the sorghum HD screen takes over and is out competing the switchgrass, your switchgrass is still getting light. So we tell, we tell folks if it's, if, it's an, if it's an east and west screen, you want the switchgrass on the south side. Now, if it's a north-south screen, I really don't think it matters. Okay. But, but anyway, that's what we would recommend because that's actually what we are doing here uh, on some of the grounds we're using, leasing, and also managing and signing. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's great for sure. Um, so we have another one. Process for building soil and rotations of your products to improve soils. So I know we kind of went over some of the basics, but yeah. maybe kind of what yeah. you're recommending. Um, so building soil, uh, let's just, you know, without knowing what their pH, what their, you know, when, when, just a quick, when I look at a soil test, first thing I'm looking at is the organic matter percentage. I want to see what that number is. And then obviously the pH is second. So let's just say if we're building soil, uh, we got a pH of, you know, one and a half, maybe two, I'm sorry, organic matter, one and a half, two percent. Um, more than likely, we're going to do our soil builder with crimson clover. Uh, we're going to plant that, get the last chance of frost. Um, and then we're going to do 
if it's a decent organic matter, we're going to do half the food plot in. Uh, get, well, it's going to depend on the size of the food plot as well. I mean, if it's only a half acre or less, we're probably going to do it all in fall forage radishes, red clover. Uh, if it's a little bit, you know, I'm sorry, if it's a one third acre or less, if it's half acre or bigger, we can go half brassicas. On, uh, and then the other half is going to be fall forage, uh, radishes, red clover. Uh, if we're in egg area, we might go with the green forage blend, uh, radishes and red clover, um, and then overseed that with rye. It's it's going to kind of you know it's kind of site specific, sure. You know, it's, it's plot specific, yeah, and deer density specific. So this kind of it's not it's not a loaded question, so to speak, but um, but the the recipe of what we're going to plant. I almost have to see, you know, again, I go through that five or six questions feel on, on, on that'll give me the exact recipe, but it's going to be, you know, uh, something that we can knock down. And, you know, if you've got a drill off, we can drill right into the soil builder. Uh, or otherwise, what we tell folks, maybe just a light disc and set your discs straight, get the, so- get the soil builder on the ground, get Big seed spread, run the disc one more time, very light. Mm-hmm. Get it packed in. Uh, if you're doing grass, it does into the soil builder. You got to be careful because that soil builder puts a really heavy thatch on. You know, get your fertilizer in if you're going to do your spray fertilizer. And then I would do a multiple called the packing and then do your brassicas <clears throat> and, and get that down. So it's, it's you know, it, it's something growing in that food plot 24 7. Uh, as long as you can, you know, obviously we're not growing much in the winter months, but, you know, a spring soil builder program, whether it's our soil builder or, or like our oats and crimson clover, uh, just like a green manure plow down. And that, again, the soil tests don't lie. We've done it for years and, and we've grown organic matter in there. So yeah. That's how we would do it. Yep. No, for sure. I think just uh, relaying off what you said about lightly disking, I know on a client property that we did uh, this year, where I just, uh, we, we actually sprayed it and then we, uh, I went over it and cultipacked it or broadcast my seed through it and then, um, uh, cultipack it. Ultimately, I think looking back now, like you were saying, I think it'd have been good to lightly disc that. Um, and then, you know, if we did have bigger seeds, this was just a brassica mix. Um, if we did have bigger seeds, pack those and then, uh, put it in our brassicas, clover, smaller seeds, and then pack it again. I think that's, that's ultimate for getting that really good seed to soil contact. And I think it kind of helps break up, break up that um, just really heavy thatch layer. Cause that soil builder is almost, it's so good, you know, that it's so thick. Some of those, some of those seeds mm-hmm. struggle come up through it. But yeah, when, when folks are growing, you know, they, they'll call up and say, Hey, I got your soil builder's five feet tall already. And I want to plant brassicas in three weeks. What I do, I tell them go and spray it, get it killed. Sure. And then, you know, a week or two later, go do your brassicas because, I've actually seen six, seven-inch thatch. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way brassicas are going to punch through that. Yeah. So you gotta, you almost had to chop it up. Yeah. Yeah. But you're not, you're not working. It's not like you're disking two, three, four inches deep. You're just chopping up that top biomass so we can get the little seeds to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. There's, you know, when you see people with talk about disking, there's so many things that. You know, are you disking six inches deep? Are you just doing a surface disc? Are your blades set straight? Are they, you know, there's so many things that can go into that. But mm-hmm. again, that's when we deal with people on a specific, um, you know, person to person talking about their food plot program. That's kind of what we would talk to them about. What are you going to plant uh, uh, in the fall following? Yep. 
Uh, so we got three more here. So sure. uh, are you supposed to mow plots or let them grow tall? So we got a clover mix here. I'm not sure what kind of clover he has. I um, mow our clover at 75% flowering. Okay. It could be three times a year. It could be once a year. If it's a real small plot that the deer are keeping knocked down, uh, I would I would uh, probably think you might only have to mow that once. And it, even if it's a weed eater, you know. Yeah. Uh, yep. Probably... I do a lot of the clover plots around the house here. We just do with a riding lawnmower set as high as you can, and they recover quickly. However, uh, this is this is very important. If you have to mow in the summer months, make sure there's rain in the forecast, or it's right after the rain, uh, because if you if you mow that clover and it's dry for the following two weeks, it could really go dormant. Mm-hmm. I sure. always believe that the, my last clover mowing is. With the bow opener here in Michigan, October 1st, we would probably, one of the last things we do, probably first five, six days of September, is the last clover mowing. And yep. then it's just thick, lush growing um, for the early archery season. Yep, yep. That's about what I did here at I our farm here. Yep, 75% flowers out there, time to mow. Okay, yep. That's a simple rule of thumb. For sure. Um, so my plots came up patchy from minimal moisture and are burned up. <laughs> it's a classic thing we've heard this year. Um, overseed or retail? Obviously, these questions were from, from about, I want to say, a week and a half or two weeks ago. So I'm a little behind with these, but um, obviously, it's still good information uh, mm-hmm. for next year for spring plants. So. so the first thing I'd ask them, what equipment do you have? Um, and then let's just say, either another uh, plot size, okay. So if they're burned up and patchy, um, I don't I don't want to have them just go out and drop rye down or drop or drop oats or, or you know bigger seeds and then we're hoping for rain again. I have found that that if you can get those seeds covered, you would be shocked with an eighth inch of rain they'll be growing. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, if you've got a failed plot due to the drought or due to whatever conditions somehow scratched the ground up well i uh, just uh, talked to a gentleman this morning sent him to tractor supply to grab one of their harrow drags you know it looks like that woven steel uh fingers the you can run the fingers down or you can flip it over it, it kind of looks like a really heavy duty chain link fence but it's got fingers on it yep yep okay i love those things i've got one and to me those if you only could own one food plot tool that would be it yeah i agree i've got a lot of use out of those yeah so <laughs> for I, would, sure. I would harrow it fingers down put the seed down and then flip it over uh and then drag the seed in and then run your your pack uh pack it down with your atv tires uh or lawn roller if you've got one and i i've done so many plots that way and especially with with the oats that we've got they come out of the ground so fast i would probably do right now like we've got a plot to put in just north of here uh, in, in the next five days, we're doing a, a, probably a 75-25 oats rye mix or 60-40, something like that, light oats, heavy rye. Uh, I think that's probably what I'd be doing or else straight cereal rye. But okay. I would definitely get those seeds covered. Yep, yep, yep. That's very critical for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last one is uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit, um, but it's uh, what's better, fall plots or spring plots. So... You know, I guess, from my opinion, depends on what your needs are. I think spring plots, in my opinion, are going to be mainly for getting your high diversity and building your soil, and your fall plots are going to be for feeding Mm -hmm. your deer. But 
Go ahead. I and, think uh, I think that whole summer food thing, spring food thing, is an interesting conversation, and it's I think it's. <laughs> Well, I think it is. I mean, like I said, there's 90% of the people out there want summer plots, and then there's you know three or four people that think they're a bad thing, and and I I think it's site specific. I think it's land specific. I've been to properties where you can look at their hunting food plots, and then you can turn around and see 500 acres of alfalfa. I don't think a spring food plot is very necessary there. Sure. I would work on building my soil, soil health, weed control. Uh, but so where we are here, um, we've got uh, an 80 acres we're working on that there isn't an egg field within, I don't know, three miles, four miles. And it's thousands of acres of, of, of woods. There's going to be, I think by the time we're done in two years, there's going to probably be 12 acres of food on there, 10 acres of food. And hmm. I can guarantee a four of it's going to be clover. Yeah. That's very yep. important. Yep, for sure. So I think it's site specific, but I think 90% of the properties I've been on, 90% of the people I've talked to, there's nothing wrong with the spring clover plot. I really don't think so. I think it's actually a good thing. I do believe there is something to the nutrition of a white-tailed deer. We work with, I kind of I kind of was joking with one of the guys working on this property, and I said, you know, I said, this is a Mountain Dew and Doritos property. He started laughing. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? I said, think about it. I said, there's whitetails living on this ground, but look around. As far as you can see, there's nothing good to eat. The ferns are, the ferns are brown. It's just crap. The leaves are brown. I said, it's kind of like asking a human to live off Mountain Dew and Doritos. Can they do it? Absolutely. Absolutely they can do it. But they don't want to. We don't want them to. Sure, so sure. we're going to introduce summer food, spring food, to help these deer, and it's going to make a difference. You cannot tell me that those deer in the next two, three, four years are not going to be healthier. Are they going to have bigger antlers? Possibly. But they're going to be in better shape. Yep. Okay? And because of the food. And, and that, you know, that's just, that's just common sense to tell you that. Mm -hmm. uh, they're living on sticks and berries and twigs and, and ferns and stuff like that, and you introduce a two-acre clover plot, oh, good Lord. There's no doubt. The, it, it, they have to be healthy. Right. So right. I think, it again, Colin, it's site-specific. It's land-specific. Where do you, you know, do you have egg around you? Are the farmers feeding the deer in the spring? I think, I think everybody's food plot at some point needs to have cereal rye in it because of the green up and the protein content that it has in the spring. Um, you know, so I'm not quite sure what they're talking you know, the question, um, you know, are, are they talking about rye coming back in the spring? Are they actually talking about a clover plot? I, again, if you're not in an egg area, I don't think a clover plot's going to hurt you. I think it's going to help you. I've seen it too many times to, to say that it's, it's, it's not worth it. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, like I said, if you're, if you're in an egg area, it might not be that necessary. Uh, but if you're in Big Woods area, um, I, I definitely think you are helping the deer. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. I think uh, I, I always recommend to a lot of clients, you know, if you can get a good amount of your property, um, you know, in those kind of perennial plots, whether it be an alfalfa, right. clover, chicory, or something like that, it's well, kind of a base. Oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. It's kind of a base uh, for your food plot, you know, program. Of course, 
you know, most of my property and stuff that I'm working with and, and recommending to a lot of guys is, is having your base as your native habitat, your woody browse, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, oh, yeah. as you know, deer can't survive off of what we can plant on food plots. It would cost a fortune <laughs> to have that much on most properties, but yeah. every property is different. Like you're, you know, obviously yeah. in the UP, a lot less, uh, you know, native habitat and, and good, you know, you know quality woody browse, but. The one thing that's caught my eye the last three weeks, and we, I'm, I'm fortunate to where we've got uh, a big food plot right in our backyard. We get to test a lot of stuff. They are absolutely crushing our chicory right now. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's amazing. You know, a lot of, a lot of folks don't like chicory, and I used to be one of them. I'm like, I just, I don't, I don't see the draw. But then Jake Ellinger, um. He had turned me on to a certain variety, and there's it's, it's kind of like turn up. There's there's varieties of everything, but sure. there's a variety of chicory he wanted me to try, and I could not believe it. And right now, in our backyard food plot, the three things that are getting crushed right now are oats, uh, the radishes, the radish tops, and the chicory. Okay, and they're molding that chicory like it's it, like there's a lawnmower. Yeah, I couldn't believe yep. it. The chicory we planted, I think uh, we planted everything in one day just because of a timing thing. And I think it was like, I want to say July 30th, somewhere in there. And that chicory got up to seven, eight, nine inches tall. It was ridiculous how tall. I couldn't believe it. Well, then all of a sudden, about uh, two weeks ago, the deer found it. <laughs> and they're just mowing it. I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. So yeah. definitely going to have clover chicory in all our food plots bigger than, uh, you know, bigger than a half acre. We're going to do that strip. We're going to have a 10% in that clover chicory at least, but our bigger food plots, we're going to have probably 20 to 30%. I've seen them in our backyard dig through snow 10 inches deep to get to the clover of all things. So I know yep. one of the things with our clovers, I know every time we dig down to it, even up to Christmas time, it's still green. It's not growing obviously, but it's sure. still green. Yeah, I found that on several properties. They'll dig right through that that, that uh, sure. high protein in the clover. They they really will seek that out. Another thing yeah. too, you know, while you're talking about that chicory, I've noticed um, that bucks really like the the uh, chicory later in the season and during mm-hmm. the rut and you know, pre rut. Bucks typically yep. aren't. They're not eating much um, no. during that time. But I have noticed they'll they'll yeah. be on those chicory plots. Just an yeah, observation I've made. And, plots that are hitting that Jake turned us on to. Oh, good. Yep, yep, they absolutely. Are, they are an absolute crushed about uh, last week of September through October. Yep. That chicory bit's still in there. They, they absolutely smash it. And, I, and I'm starting to, you know, we haven't, we haven't talked to a nutritionist. We want to, we want to start taking tissue samples and, and seeing what the digestibility of these, the, you know, is there something we need to change? Is there something, uh, you know, we can add? But anyway, I'm I'm curious to see, is it possibly the sugar content in that? It, it, it kind of like you know that 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 old wives' tale on Brassica. Sure. They don't need it till the frosting, which I think is kind of silly. Yeah. Um, yep. I've got you know that's that could be another another podcast. <laughs> just sure. Brassicas, but I've got some theories on that. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, the, the chicory right now is is just being targeted hard, and it's it's kind of really it's really cool to watch. Yeah, and I think that also relates back to, you know, as we were talking about, or as you were talking about earlier, having, you know, the, all these different uh, diversity in plants, whether you're planting them together or you're planting them separate, to have them all on your property, I think that's just huge because obviously we don't know 
we can't predict what that deer needs at that time of year or that certain sure. situation. So, you know, we can get close, obviously. Um, you know, we know some base nutritional needs for deer, but when we can supply all those, that high diversity and, and woody browse and then us high diversity in all of our food plots. And then, you know, obviously when you can do stuff in strips or however it works best for your soil and your situation, and you can get that high tonnage out of everything that you're planting, um, I, I just think it's a win-win. So I think so, yeah. It's kind of like going to the buffet and you only get one plate. you got to jam as much food on that plate as possible. <laughs> I, that's how I treat my food plots. Yeah. I don't want to eat any ground there. And, uh, and that's what we try to do. We try to pile as much food as we can in those food plots. And, and uh, it seems to be working pretty good for us. For sure. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you uh, coming on here. If you don't have anything yeah. else, um, I'd, I'd be uh, sure to um, let, let guys know where you can uh, or they can find you at on social media and your website and everything like that. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a Facebook page, Northwoods Whitetails Food Plot Seed. We've got a YouTube channel, Northwoods Whitetails Food Plot Seed. And um, our website, northwoodswhitetails.com. We're trying to do um, a few videos a week. We try to do, I think we're on Instagram, Northwoods Whitetails Seeds. Um, just trying to keep, you know, people up to date on what we're doing. And a lot of what we try to do in post is, is trying to help people. Like, like we might take something from this tonight, Colin, and try to turn it into a video. Um, so we were talking about this, and this is what we think, you know. Um, I'm not really not into, we might film a few hunts and stuff like that, but I, I'm, I'm into helping our clients and customers, um, as best I can. And that's usually what we try to do with social media. Sure. No, absolutely. Likewise with me, you know, I, I mm -hmm. tell guys their success is my success. So sure. that's what I love to see. So awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on here and, uh, yeah, maybe so look forward to having you on here maybe another time in the future. So sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. Well, hope everyone enjoyed that episode. I know it was uh, really informational for myself and uh, just some different different opinions, different options, uh, you know, talking about just the no-till and soil health, uh, kind of comparing it from uh, traditional, you know, regenerative agriculture on the, the uh, agricultural side, um, you know, kind of comparing that down to a, a smaller scale as all of our us, uh, food plotters are at. So, yeah, I uh, maybe look forward to having John on here in, in a future podcast. So I'm also excited. We're going to be getting in a, maybe some more hunting strategies uh, podcast now. Now that we're in a hunting season, maybe a couple early season strategies. And then uh, also, so, you know, we're getting into that late October pre-rut um, strategies. So if you guys like this, uh, please be sure to uh, follow the podcast. I really appreciate the, uh, the support. Also uh, on Legendary Habitat on YouTube, you guys can su subscribe on there. We got some cool uh, uh, Brad Harper out of uh, Harper Growing Solutions. We got some cool trials going on right now, and uh, some videos I've been putting out on that on the results. So be sure to check those out. So again, I really appreciate you guys all tuning in, and be sure to always strive to be a better steward of God's creation. Thanks, guys.